HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Ben's Friends is the food and beverage industry support group offering hope, fellowship, and a path forward to professionals who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. Ben's Friends exists to provide a safe haven and an anonymous, judgment-free forum for workers in an industry that has one of the highest rates of substance abuse in the country. Their mission hasn't changed during quarantine. Ben's Friends chapters across the country are now offering online meetings. You can find a chapter near you at benfriendshope.org. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Chris Fenster. Chris is the founder and CEO of Propeller Industries, a fractional CFO and accounting partner that helps entrepreneurs build great companies. Chris started Propeller in 2008 after 15 years in financial leadership roles with five early stage firms. Today, Propeller's team of 200 full-time professionals in eight worldwide offices serves nearly 300 venture stage companies who have collectively raised over $1.5 billion from investors. Current and alumni CPG clients include Crave Jerky, Sir Kensington's, Chameleon Cold Brew, Kite Hill, Casper, Away, Hymns, Hubble, and Cora. I'm also here with Marissa Dobbins, our Director of Operations at Haven's Kitchen. Um, And we're going to do not a whole sort of what did you guys want to be when you grow up thing. We're just going to get down and dirty pretty quickly. So welcome, both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks, Sally. I ended on a weird, like, note there. (laughs) I didn't end on the up note or the down note. Um, But I'm really glad that you guys are here. Um, Chris, I think you wrote this sometime in the past few weeks, and I think it's a really good way to start the episode. And I quote, it's surreal to have so much information about what to do to manage a crisis whose ultimate impact and duration we know so little about. Whatever your company is experiencing, whether it's record sales or fighting for survival, it's clear that whatever our plans were for 2020, it's time for a new plan. 
you remember saying that or writing <laughs> I that? I feel like I've been <laughs> saying and writing some version of that multiple times every day for the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a really good way to sort of sum it up because, you know, just as sort of, I think we're all kind of, you know, our moods change really quickly. You know, sometimes like we were saying before the show, we're, we're okay. Then we're anxious. Then we're kind of optimistic. Then we're sort of sad. It's kind of the same with companies. Like no one wants to think that they're going to be able, you know, no one wants to kind of have this like crush everything. Everyone's trying to be like surviving, but there is also opportunity and there are also sort of silver linings that we're all finding and kind of balancing sort of, I feel like very, um, like I'm getting kind of tossed in between all of it. Um, but whatever it is you need, you need a new plan. Um, so let's start, Chris. Like, you know, as everyone knows, the people who listen to this are early, early stage. And a lot of them don't have the resources for a propeller, which we are very grateful for in a time like this. Um you know, some of them have investors. I would guess a lot of them are bootstrapped. Um, so how would you sort of, you know, step one through three of, okay, you know, the big bad wolf is blowing. How do you make a house out of bricks right now? It's such a great question. And, and there's so many different ways that I could answer that. I think I have to start with how it feels to be a leader of a company in crisis. And I'm just thinking through my own experience, my whole career, I was a CFO. I was, I was a person sitting in an engine room, you know, trying to come up with solutions to problems. I wasn't actually leading the company. And my, my first instinct really in, in this situation was to try to recognize that uh, overnight, the qualities that I needed to have as a leader were really different. Um, and I don't know if you, I'm yeah. sure every, all of us founders experience this, right? And so I'm in this weird position where I'm a founder at Propeller Industries, but you know, our firm is a CFO to 300 companies. So I, I kind of wear both hats at once. And right. you know, in order to, to think about what kind of guidance to give our companies, I, I really just had to start with sort of where am I feeling personally in this this whole kind of crisis. Yeah. So I think for me, a lot of the qualities of sort of a, the wartime CEO um, don't come naturally. And so the first thing for me as a leader was, I, I think, just to, to recognize that I was deeply uncomfortable with a lack of knowledge. And, um, you know, again, yeah. I mean, I'm wired like a CFO. I like to sort of get all the information and, and, you know, put it in a spreadsheet, <laughs> yeah, right? You and like I data. I wanna, I'm super yeah. quant. And so that's the way I like to solve problems. And, and this just isn't really an option, uh, you know, in these times. And, and right. you know, like you, you said in your intro, there's so much information and we're getting so much more every day. And I think the, the, where to begin was, I think the realization that, I had to adapt to the situation as a leader in order to support my team so that my team can support our clients. And in order to do that, I, I kind of had to pull back a little bit. Like I just had to take a couple days last week and, and just process everything that was happening. Um, feel like I could get my, my feet under me and just 
over communicating, I think, and, and trying to understand the situation a little bit better. And then I think that I think that actually brings up a really good point, though, because, you know, I I hate to like bring it back to cooking for a second. But one of the things I always sort of say when I'm teaching cooking is like people put the meat on the grill or the tofu in the pan or the veggies or whatever. And immediately they think they're supposed to be doing something. So they start poking at it or trying to flip it before it's Mm -hmm. ready or like throwing things on it or, you know, there's this, I think humans at this right now, a lot of us feel like, like doing something, even if it's not the right thing is at least Mm -hmm. action. And I think there is something really wise in your point about just gathering your thoughts. And it goes back to sort of being responsive as opposed to being reactive. And a lot of people that are making really rash decisions right now because they feel the need to do something because they, they they know that they're under threat. Um, you know, I, I have, you know, I have, I know people that are like, we're not going to include this surprise and delight thing in a package, you know, well, okay, maybe slow down. Maybe it's time to renegotiate that thing in the package. Maybe, you know, maybe don't make decisions just like we're cutting everything, you know, or, you know, just, just really slowing it down just for a minute to kind of get your ducks in a row, get your bearings and then, you know, flip the steak. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Marissa. So I was going to say, even on a, a sort of smaller scale, like we're trying to create this sense of like safety and stability for a team that is now all mm. working remotely. And even something as simple as the daily Zoom meetings that we're doing, where yeah. it starts out on a very personal level, where we can sort of set up some place that is safe and comforting before we actually go into sort of the work aspect of it has been really helpful, I think, in keeping everybody super grounded. Yeah. And that was tough for us because where a lot of firms like ours operate uh, remotely, we don't. I mean, we have six U.S. offices and our our largest has 50 people in it. And uh, and we do that for a whole bunch of reasons. But you know, the transition to working remotely um, was sudden and we were ahead of it. We'd been planning for it for a couple of weeks, but, you know, it, it didn't actually happen until it happened. And then there was urgency behind it. And so it was just tough. You know, you got to figure out how to communicate in, in a new paradigm when there's all this pressure to make decisions quickly. Right. And And again, you know, Battlefield right. CEO 101 is be decisive and act quickly. And, you know, you really have to reduce yeah. the, the, um, the premium that we normally put on informed decision-making. You have to rely on instincts. You're supposed to do all these things, right? Check all the boxes. And, you know, I think just, again, for me, I just had to recognize that, okay, I, I can get there, but I just at least needed to take a couple days to process everything, process the new right. environment and just get some level of, of um, comfort because it was it was hard for me to leave initially uh just need to yep. process all mm-hmm. of it and then you know not that you not that you're like gangbusters and you have your bearings 100 percent of the time but if you know if step one for our founders out there is like okay give yourself a minute to just regroup you know part of that regrouping at least for me is is that gathering of information you know how much money do i have how much money am i burning what you know what is this going to do 
you know, some sort of an idea of, am I, am I something people are hoarding right now? Or am I something people consider a luxury right now? You know, like what would your sort of step two be from wearing your CFO hat um, to, to try to wrap your arms around what this is going to do sort of in the short term and the long term. Did you guys just hear my Slack notification? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> okay, I heard it. I'm glad you didn't, but it, I, it, okay, very annoying. Um, anyway, clearly I'm not very good at turning them off, but as long as you can't hear them. Anyway, so so going back to like your CFO hat, um, you know, pe- people are hearing reforecasting, you know, manage your cash, Da, 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 da. But they, but but what are the how do they actually sit down on day three after they've you know kind of regrouped day one and day two either themselves or with their team and just really what are what are the questions they need to ask yeah. themselves it's, about their it's, company? Um, it's interesting to be in this position where we have three hundred clients, all of whom are impacted by this crisis. Uh, but each of whom is impacted differently. We have some clients that are setting records right now. Uh, we have a, a company yeah. that makes subscription bamboo toilet paper. I mean, can you imagine, right? Yep. It, it's, um, you know, there's yeah. a lot of great opportunity in all the chaos uh, from this. We have other companies that are heavily dependent on travel uh, or events. We have companies that yeah. have on-premise on um, restaurant businesses, Th- those have gone to zero. And, you know, there's real existential yep. risk there. And then particularly within CPG, we have about 100, uh, maybe 115 CPG clients. And, you know, within that, if you're designated an essential item, your revenue might be up, you know, 30, 50, 100, 200%. Um, so, and right. that creates a whole different, set of challenges. So the, the thing that we know is that everybody right. is, is impacted in a different way. And, uh, you know, the 2020 plan goes out the window. In some cases, people have to plan for um, more, they have to plan for less, you <laughs> might have supply chain issues, you, you know, you have employee right. issues, you have health, there's so many things to talk about, but the, the we have to plan for volatility. And so, you know, at the at the tail end of a 12 year kind of bull market, we've, a lot of companies, a lot of us have have gotten pretty comfortable and confident. Yeah, exactly. And so that, that's out the window now. We have to plan for volatility. We have to plan for the unknowns. Um, And, you know, I think our our first step was really just to acknowledge that, okay, everybody's got to go back to the drawing board. And when we do build plans, you know, we have to build them with more flexibility. So, Everybody is, we've, we've counseled everybody to, to really pick a lane. Like you're either in growth mode, which is to say that you're either not impacted adversely, um, or at least for the time being, you, you need to lean into this. You have some revenue. I don't want to call it upside. It seems insensitive, but you know, you can get revenue growth right. from it. Um, yeah. maybe you're in preservation mode, uh, and maybe you're in survival mode, but you kind of have to decide which lane that you're in and then run your run your planning behind that. Well, and I mean, so we'll use us as an example because, you know, this is what I do on the show, but you know, we, we have, I mean, we've seen, we are a pantry staple. People are buying a lot of it right now. 
We also know that it's probably not going to stay there. And we also know that we're heavily dependent on relationships and resets and, you know, field marketing and like being in the store because we don't have a D to C business. So while part of us is like, okay, this is, you know, it, I don't want to ever say good, but like we, we are a product that will, that is, that is meant for a recession to some extent. We're a product that's, you know, that is a better for you version of a pantry staple. Um, but even us, like, you know, we don't, when we kind of went to your team and we're like, okay, we're going to reforecast. We came up with two scenarios for 2020, assuming that every reset in the big stores is three to six mm-hmm. months delayed. That means that stores that we thought we were going to be on the shelf on in September, we're kicking mm-hmm. to 2021. Um, and we went back to you guys with a plan A and a plan B. And by the way, we're going to be on, you know, 400 Whole Foods shelves in this month, but we have no way of doing like a big mm-hmm. launch around that, right? We, we had 2,000 mm-hmm. demos planned. Um, so even in our worst case scenario, you know, we're keeping the store count, but we're lowering the velocities, even though we still think a lot of people are going to be buying it. They, they, it's going to be new on their shelves. They're not going to know that this is something they can buy. And even if people continue to kind of pantry load, they're not going to load with a brand new product that they've never seen before. And the first thing that you guys said back to us was your plan B is actually not worst case scenario, which was interesting to us because we were sort of like, it's we're slashing a lot of upside. Um, But it was interesting to hear that. Um, And I thought it was really useful to hear that because sometimes companies, you know, especially founders, um, our optimism is a strength and it's also a liability to some extent. And I wouldn't call Marissa overly optimistic (laughs) as a a director of ops. But I mean, I'm kind of curious about, you know, first of all, for companies that don't have a forecast, they need a forecast. Um, and we've been talking about that on the show for a while. Secondly, how, how would you sort of tell people to rethink their forecasts? Is there anything just sort of, I know it's category specific and product specific, but is there anything other than like make your, make your worst case even worse? And, you know, how would you sort of like tell people to start thinking about making those well, forecasts? Well, it's a great question. I, I think um, one of the first things that I've been recommending to the founders that I've been in touch with is to kind of come up with your, um, let's call it your worst best case, uh, which is to say, Uh you know, Mm -hmm. if if we're, if we're concerned that we're going to be negatively impacted. And and again, I would say, I don't know, maybe 70% of our clients are, are, are CPG clients are experiencing some sort of a surge right now, but we're all concerned that right. all we're doing is is pulling Q2 revenue into Q1, right? Or Q3 revenue. Like mm-hmm. it's going to come back yep. to us. You know, as, as a country, we're going to yep. use the same yep. number of rolls of toilet paper this year, one way or another. And yep. you know what I'm saying? Yep. It's, it's, you know, so yes. we're, we're concerned yep. about that. We're also uh, concerned that we need to be prepared for some major supply chain disruption. I mean, it feels like, 
most people's right. co-packing relationships are okay for now. But what happens when line, you know, production line workers start getting sick? What happens if the the um, co-manufacturer can't find a contractor to come in and disinfect the factory? What happens if we don't have access to testing and we can't differentiate, um, you know, healthy employees from sick? Like we could have major line time disruption and especially if you're a small manufacturer and, and your co-packer is, is making product for, you know, one of the big CPGs, it could be really tough to get line time and, and you could just wind up without yeah. product. So everything else could be firing on all cylinders. You might have total right. demand and then all of a sudden you've got no supply. So, you know, this is all long winded way of, of saying that, you know, the sort of best worst case scenario would be to look at anything that you can cut and um and then start there mm -hmm. so essentially to build a revenue plan right. around the things that are easy to cut back on defer all your hires right like that's not even a thing just don't don't not mm -hmm. do something just don't do it don't hire any more people lock you know lock down your payroll hiring freeze right. um you know anything that you right. can do it's interesting you right you're kind of saying control what you can control which is sort of like life advice in a way too like you can't predict your mm. sales. You, you can't. You can try and you can, but you're right. Like, even if it's a great product that people are loving, you have no idea if it's going to get on trucks or if it's going to get on shelves or if people are going to be able to make it. But what you can control is mm. what you're spending. So there's something I think in here where, you know, the reforecasting, you know, I think as a founder, my, my initial instinct when I hear reforecast is sales, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to probably what a CFO's reforecast is, which is spending. And it is a really good time for people who, you know, have, you know, have been spending comfortably because the money has been flowing or they think it will be flowing this is a time where you really look at every single line item and you figure out, is this a necessary, can I kick the can on this? Can I renegotiate this contract? I mean, what would you say in terms of that cash management, like in terms of all of the, the spending, like steps that you would advise for managing that part of the P&L? Well, I mean, we can think about where the sort of biggest chunks of costs are uh, for an emerging CPG business. Uh, cost of goods sold is that's probably the single biggest uh, chunk of spending. So, you know, what can we do to optimize the cash flow around that relationship? I mean, this is probably not a great time to try to save money, right? Yeah, yeah you're not going to go renegotiate. You're not going to pay less <laughs> on a unit basis. You know, if, yeah. if anything, uh, there's some risk that prices are going to get escalated. Uh, right. But uh, yes. managing that inventory has never been more critical, and you know that that could be right. one of the single kind of highest risks uh, in a, a business at this stage. Because if you're worried about supply chain disruption, you're going to be tempted to load up on inventory. Um, you know, especially if mm -hmm. there's sort of an eighty twenty principle in your SKU distribution 
right? And all of a sudden you've got things right. that are moving quickly. Maybe it's product that you can ship online or through Amazon. So it's coming in at a higher margin. Um, you know, maybe there's a, it's going to create some incentive for you to load up on those just so that you can have some peace of mind that you're not going to run out. Um, but at the same time, if you have a limited runway, uh, the last thing we want to do is convert a bunch of cash into inventory. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just really tricky, yeah. right? And and that's the kind of thing that you need to think about on a skew by skew basis or a company by company basis, or you know, if you have um, different uh, co-manufacturers, like it, it gets really specific to each company. But that's sort of the that's the biggest nugget that that we need to manage at, at a lot of firms. I think the second biggest bucket is headcount. Um, and, and this is obviously a, a tough one. I mean, deferring hires is, is easy, yeah. but when we think through the options around headcount, assuming that that is the, um, for a lot of CPG companies, that's the second largest expense if we're not counting trade spending and we can come back to that. Um, but you know, around yeah. headcount, obviously, Deferring hires is, is helpful um, in order of like pain and suffering, salary reductions, um, particularly for senior leadership, um, you know, should be on the table. If you're laying people off, yeah, I think we have to ask ourselves as as founders or, you know, executive team members, are, are we taking a pay cut too? Because, uh, you know, every, every cut that we take is... That is if we if get we paid. Get paid. All, right? I know. Like, <laughs> If we get paid, which Chris yeah, right. is the big F for a lot yeah, of founders, I, I right? Um, but no, I, I see your point. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's like, there's the cost of goods and, you know, I want to go back to the managing inventory a little bit because um, I know Marissa, you know, we've been, you know, we sort of did a little exercise of going through every single ingredient, what could possibly be vulnerable, you know, I know that, you know, we've sort of thought about what we won't necessarily be able to get if there's a massive disruption or, you Mm -hmm. know, what would be harder, but what else are we doing on our, on our team in terms of the way we're thinking about inventory management? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're uh, sort of running a very fine line between, you know, we don't want shelves to be empty, but we also don't want to be sitting on product. We're also in a unique situation where we're working with perishable product. So the the risk of increasing production to accommodate these sales lifts that we're seeing um, is really risky at this point. Um, so we're working very closely with our co-packer to sort of fine tune these forecasting numbers that we've put together. I think you know the, the other big risk is what you spoke about in that we're also in the process of rolling out across 450 mm. Whole food stores. So um, <laughs> we're in the middle of sure, a reset. Yeah, in the middle yeah. of a reset. We just moved to a new co-packer. Like we 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 couldn't be um, in a more sort of difficult position. But I think because of the relationships that we built with the co-packer. Um, we have really strong ties. So we're working extremely closely to minimize any possible disruptions. I mean, we're also going through, you know, contract negotiations for raw materials and changing the forecast as drastically as we have that also potentially changes some of the costs for goods because we're not able to hit a minimum order quantity or want to be a little bit more sort of conservative in purchasing whatever it may be, if it's pouches or if it's, you know, 
frozen onions. Uh, so it, it's all about, you know, open communication and planning for the worst mm-hmm. for us. There are, I mean, I know that there are a couple of companies, you know, and I, I just want to throw this out there for other people listening, you know, they've just stopped making the groovy fun skew right. and they're just like pounding mm-hmm. out vanilla, you know, like this, there is something to be said for really looking at what is specifically selling what people want right now, you know, using your time as wisely and as like, you know, thoughtfully as possible, whether you are producing it yourself or you're producing it with a co-packer. Um, are you seeing stuff like that where they're, they're only doing certain SKUs or they're only doing a certain, you know, are you seeing people kind of like, I don't know, make decisions about what they're putting out there also? I mean, I think the, the retailers are almost forcing some of the brand's hands because right. the merchants and the buyers, by the nature of what's going on, have to focus on high volume and most important SKUs. So if they stop purchasing your you know, 20% of lower volume, then you have no choice but to back off on it. Right. Chris, before we take the break, um, I just want to hear any other thoughts on cash management. How much cash should a company ideally have in the bank on a good day? And is that different than on a you know, coronavirus day? <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. Um, whatever, <laughs> no. whatever the number of days was before, it probably makes sense to double or triple that, right? So, you know, we would, we would hope. And again, we're working with a lot of venture-backed companies or, or private equity backed companies. Right. And so the vast majority of those right. are deficit spending. They have negative cash flow. Uh, they're, they're not profitable. And so right. when they're raising, they're raising for let's call it 18 months of runway. And so I think overnight that expectation runway. should, mm-hmm. you know, should increase pretty significantly. Uh, let's, let's call it 24 months at a minimum, you know, 36 months. Ideally, yeah, you start with mm-hmm. that and, and that gives you, you know, yeah, it's scary, yes. right? Because valuations went down too. And well, it's scary because it's know. right. Yeah. And it's not that easy to, you know, every, I think every founder I've talked to in the past two weeks has sort of collectively said, like, if they hear one more investor say, I'm focused yeah, on my portfolio right. companies, mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's just this like catchphrase. And it makes sense, of course, but it's not exactly like people are, all that fired up to be writing new checks at the moment. Um, what what would you say? I mean, what what would you consider low on cash? Like like alert. You need to take care of this now. Yeah, situation. I mean, I, I think the higher that number is, the the better. Uh, companies with less than six months okay. of cash are typically in some form of triage mode. Like if you're not well on your way to doing another capital raise or um, you know, putting in a, a debt line, some form of incremental capital or, or getting to profitability, right? Let's not forget the, the, you know, the right. best option yeah. out there, then, um, then you should be seriously concerned. So that number I think is now 12 months um, and, and everybody needs to be right. thinking more about it. I think what's also important though, is that if we were having this conversation about you know how many months of, of capital we needed and it's we want to take it from 18 months to 36 months you could either raise twice as much capital or you could cut your burn in half and you know i think this is the time that we should be talking right. about 
you know, how we bring, let, let's make capital efficiency sexy again. I mean, we've just gone through this period where, especially in yeah. CPG, we had all these super high growth companies, like a bunch of our clients, uh, you know, built solid uh, eight figure revenue businesses and got nine figure exits. And, you know, they did that by raising tons of capital and spending tons of money and, and growing really quickly. And I just think that that playbook is out the window. I mean, there are a handful of companies yeah. that can go do that, but you know, it, it's, it's yeah. really clear to us that, you know, there's more than one way to skin this cat and maybe it, it hasn't been super sexy in the past, yeah. you know, to run a super capital efficient yeah. business, but you know, right. let's talk more about that. Well, that's kind of why I always refer to the three little pigs. I mean, I think my team is going to like smack me over Zoom the next time I do it. But, you know, we have prided ourselves a little bit on like the piggy with the bricks. And it's been sexy in the last couple of years to be the piggy with the straw mm -hmm. or the twigs. Um, but, you know, the bricks, the bricks hold. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about communication and relationships and how it all has to do with money. <laughs> we'll be right back. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hi, I'm back with Chris Fenster from Papeller and our Director of Operations at Haven's Kitchen, Marissa Dobbins. So, Marissa, you said something a little bit earlier, and I, and I think it's really critical. I do believe that we have talked about this on the podcast before, and it just is very obvious now how real it is. And it's that whether it's investors or buyers or your co-packer, and yes, of course, your consumer, the relationships that you build with the people that are your partners in building your company are important on a good day, but they are critical mm -hmm. in the middle of a like shitstorm, basically. Um, so Chris, how are you advising clients to not only sort of communicate with their investors, but over communicate with their investors and their teams and, um, you know, anyone else who's sort of partnering in the relationship, how much information is too much information? What are they looking for from us? Um, you know, we all just, I would imagine most of us just finished our quarterly letters and they were not the run of the mill quarterly letter. Um, and I, I found myself like I, I'm pretty much an open book, but I definitely found myself being like 
So we reforecasted down, but this is going to be fine. You know, like just how are you sort of thinking about this and what are you, what are you? Advising? Well, I think the, the first piece of advice is be, take your lumps up front. Um, I think if you've got bad news to deliver, deliver it now and, um, and, and be mm-hmm. pessimistic. I mean, I, one of the things that we worry about is the companies that take too much time to make decisive changes and wind up essentially in this death spiral where by the, by the time you act, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's too little too late. Um, I saw, I saw something online the other day about, um, it was, it was, in, I think it was investor, maybe it was like an analytics company, but they were giving guidance about, it was something along the plan for, um, you know, blizzard winter ice age. And, and, you know, my hot take on that was that, yeah. you know, if, if you plan for a blizzard and what you really get is an ice age, you're hosed. Right. And, and so the, the guidance is right. like, look, you can, <laughs> it is so easy to rebuild something that you built compared to how hard it was the first time that if you overcorrect, nobody gets in trouble here. Right. If, if you, um, right. you know, if you overcut or, you know, you, you reduce some upside, you're probably not getting fired for that. And, you know, if you wind up with some serious supply chain disruption or, you know, the inability to raise capital, in the future, you're going to be way better off. So I think the first thing is just be really honest with your investors. They'll appreciate it. You'll a- avoid yeah. having some harder conversations um, down the road. And I think this is just, this is the time to really make partners out of them. And your credibility is going to go a lot further, you know, than it would have two weeks ago. Um, just, I think being really, really clear yeah. and, and communicating frequently is, is, has never been more critical. And what about people? I mean, this is going to be a tough one for you. So get ready. Um, there are a lot of people I know that were just about to start their seed rounds or they had just started the conversation. Um, you know, what, what do they do? I mean, how, how are, how should, because I think most investors are still taking calls and they're, you know, they're going to have those conversations with, with people. Um, but, you know, a lot of them aren't necessarily where they were <laughs> a couple months ago. So how would you sort of advise people who are looking to raise capital to approach that any differently than maybe before? I mean, other than sort of like acknowledging the fact that it, without anything having to do with the quality of your product or the way you're running your company, it just became worth probably a lot yeah, less. it's true. And I'm reminded of the the guidance to put your own mask on first. And all of the investors are doing that for their current mm-hmm. portfolios. You, you mentioned this earlier in the conversation, you know, I'm focused on my portfolio. <laughs> like, well, we should expect to see a lot of that, um, particularly for the next right. several months. I mean, this isn't a great time to go out and try to raise uh, a seed round unless it's creating some sort of opportunity for you. And, you know, I think we all have to look at that. Okay. Where, where is their upside in this situation? You know, how can I take a a super capital efficient approach? Is there a digital strategy that I wasn't thinking about before? 
you know, that I might be able to layer in here or reprioritize. And, um, you know, a lot of companies get started after uh, economic crises like this. And, and yep. so, you know, we yep. got to remember that, that, you know, the, this is where some of the, the best companies are going to be formed and the investors are going to pull back and, and they're going to need to do their thing and they should do their thing. They, they've got to take care of their portfolios first. Um, but we're going to bounce yeah. back. And I think the entrepreneurs who are flexible and, a, and a, you know, can figure out how to adapt to the situation are really going to benefit from it. Um, you know, the other piece of it is too, the, the yeah. friends and family investors that, that, you know, supported us when we were tiny, um, you know, as long as they're, um, and look, everybody's, yeah, as long as they're, they're still, still okay. okay. I mean, every, you right. know, everybody's stock portfolio is, is worth two thirds of what it was a couple of weeks ago, but you know, that's not normally where, where this capital, um, comes from. And so. Right. You know, I think yeah. there's still a ton of upside out there. And, and, you know, in some ways, the entrepreneurs that haven't yet scaled up are the most nimble. Um, you know what I mean? They, they yeah. don't have huge burn rates. They're still super yeah. lean. Like, uh, you know, we have some some companies that are kind of on our watch list that we've been working with for six to 12 months, just just monitoring. And, and they're super thankful right now, you know, that they're sort of one or two person yeah. teams, everything outsourced. You know what I mean? They, they can, it doesn't yeah, take that much capital. They might be able to, you know, raise a little bit more money from some existing investor, put it on their convertible note. That's already outstanding. You know, it's, you're not going to get a huge legal bill yeah. and look, maybe, um, you know, I, I, if you put another $50,000 and another hundred thousand dollars on the note with the same cap, yeah, that's a little more dilution, but it's an option that the larger companies that, you know, have yep. 30 people on payroll just don't have. So this is really the time I think to, to get creative. And I would just, you know, encourage the, the earlier stage entrepreneurs to, to hang in there. I mean, these are some of the most resilient people out there right now. And this is creating opportunities. You know, yeah. the other thing we talked about this before, uh, but you know, in all of the downside, right. The, the, retailers who are postponing their resets there's also some upside so somebody that told you no mm -hmm. three months ago might have a totally different answer for all they know yep. or for all we know mm -hmm. you know their their uh category was reliant on somebody whose supply chain has been massively disrupted now you actually have an opportunity to get back in there so you know i it's i yep. encourage everybody to continue playing offense Right. As we go into this defensive mode, yeah. mm -hmm. and this is where I started today, like my first mode was to kind of pull back and just make sure I had my my wits about me before I tried to lead anybody else. And, and I think, you know, once you get your feet under you, you realize pretty quickly that um, there are a lot of great opportunities out there. But, you know, we, we've got to um, keep yeah. hunting for them. Well, for us, you know, one of those opportunities and, you know, you spoke about it at the beginning, um, you know, if, when we looked at our when we looked at what we were spending, you know, fortunately, we did have a massive field marketing budget um, because we knew we were doing, you know, three big launches this year and, you know, going into national, you know, from 22 states into all 50 states and you know, we just we we were just like going hard on demos because the field has worked for us so well in the Northeast region. Um, obviously, 
there are no demos that's done but we had this you know we had this chunk of change and we took just under i guess just over half of it and just it within three days found a digital growth agency we really like them they understand the product we're getting you know our like our brand manager her 90 percent of her job has been you know events and field and demos and now all of that has changed and she's i mean talk about adaptability she's just now completely getting an education in digital and growth um and i do see that as an opportunity for us because we kind of knew like on one hand we sort of prided ourselves as being sort of luddites in a way and like we're such a grocery brand mm-hmm. but in the other like i did i did know that like this world of you know, growth marketing existed and, and us plugging in, you know, Wegman zip codes and like hitting promote and like spending $50 <laughs> was not what, what we were not right. going to win that way. Um, so I think, you know, in not even just in the bigger picture about opportunities, but in the small, in the, in the, in the interim, in during the storm, you kind of have an opportunity again to go through everything like, and again, it all does come back to money, right? Because your strategy is linked to, you know, all of it kind of comes together, right? So we, now we have this opportunity to learn a lot about something that we weren't going to learn about this year. And that was probably somewhat of a problem for us, Mm -hmm. actually, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about it. Um, but are you seeing anything else where people are kind of pivoting? You know, there, I think that Darwin quote about, you know, it wasn't the strongest or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the most adaptable, blah, blah. I think that's going around a lot too. And again, I hate these sort of crisis memes. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The crisis meme. I do like the women complaining about, you know, in their cars where they're slamming their hands about like distance learning. Like those are complaining about that too, by the way. Other than that, like. Yes, I haven't seen as many, and I didn't mean to gender it, but I definitely have seen like women yelling in Hebrew and in French and in Spanish, like <laughs> all over the planet. Like moms are yeah. freaking out, but so I don't, I don't mean to minimize it, but there is something about that adaptability. So other than you know someone like us who's adapting from field into digital, are you seeing other ways that people are adapting that are kind of interesting and like maybe could trigger some ideas. Yeah, a couple thoughts on that. So first of all, it's it's amazing what you can do when you just don't have a choice. And and sometimes the easiest way right. to get something done is to just, um, you know, however it happens, just take the other options completely off the table. I think a lot of companies are finding out right now yep. um, what it means to go digital. And, and uh, like with your experience, it, field marketing is all of a sudden off the table you've got this budget and you've got all this product uh, going into a bunch of different whole foods and you got to create some velocity somehow. Right. Yeah. You got to let people know um, it's there. Yeah. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. I read an article about halo top, you know, when, when they were sort of blowing out and, mm-hmm. and I remember mm-hmm. them saying that they, they kind of, they didn't have CPG background or whatever. And, and they came into this thinking, you know, why would we spend all this money on field marketing? We can just buy Facebook ads, right? Easier said than done, but you know, I think they wound up um, getting a lot of efficacy out of that. And 
you know, these days, I mean, obviously several years later and Whole Foods, Amazon, online, we have a lot of clients that are have built really healthy online businesses to complement their um, retail distribution. And they've gotten very savvy about Amazon marketing, about Facebook and Instagram, about content, um, finding the right partners, finding the right agencies. Um, it, it's incredibly challenging. And it's been interesting for us just to be in this position where we had a whole bunch of uh direct-to-consumer brands and and all this sort of pattern recognition right. on how those brands built their audiences and where they used agencies and and their reliance on content versus PR and all the other strategies. So it, it was it was kind of fun, I think, to be able to pull some of the knowledge that we gained from these other industries and, right. and start to figure out how to distribute it to CBG companies. I think the one thing that we learned is that uh it's a cliche, but the, the best way to spend a small fortune on growth marketing is to start with a large one. And, um, you know, the, mm -hmm. the first, um, you know, X dollars that you spend, you are going to spend um, incredibly inefficiently, right? When you're, when you're first learning this, when you're first starting out, it, it's almost like you have to spend just assume that you're going to spend unwisely in order to learn how to spend wisely. Right. Right. Interesting. And is that just because you don't know exactly what's going to click and what's going to work and, and there's just a lot of testing or is it because you just don't understand that? Like why there's is There's so many exactly? different variables in, in successful um, performance marketing. There's the conversion rate on the website and there's the content and there's the audience and the, um, I mean, there are just so many variables and that's part of the reason why I think people have come to right. rely so heavily on, um, agencies. Yeah. Cause that's you know, what do I know? Like, yeah. what, do, what do we yeah. know? Um, yeah, no, literally I typed in Wegman's zip codes. I spent an hour typing in <laughs> like all the, I mean, it was, and that's like really just low level, but I, I hear what you're saying. Right. I think the, but going to that point though, this is a time where, we are really happy we're working with you. We're really happy we're working with our outsourced sales management team. Like, I think this is a time where, you know, part of the last several years has been like, well, if you can take a picture, then you're a photographer. <laughs> you know, if if you can if you can do a good Instagram account, then you're a great marketer. I think that's all changing, right? Because it now it's again, it's times like these where you need to go back to people that have like not only experience, but just so much like data under their wings that they can they can help you figure stuff out that's going to take you too long to figure out right now. yeah and and you know twitter doesn't really differentiate between people that really know what they're doing and people that um don't know anything and and people that are actually bots oh, right and right. so i think you know to your point there there's this um it's gotten harder i think to establish what excellences in any given field. And we're certainly not growth marketing experts, but we've seen a ton of different companies light a ton of money on fire to figure out how to grow their businesses. Right. And we can definitely help you understand what not to do. Marissa, I, yeah, I think we need to just regroup with these guys 
uh, not on the podcast. <laughs> we have a lot about to talk about. The money that we just yeah spent. But um also, so like I two more minutes because then Matt's gonna kill me. But um it, again, going back to sort of those relationships, you know, um over communicating with your co-packer, making sure that they have, you know, contingency upon contingency, that they're cross-training each other. Um, you know, all of that stuff, are you seeing best practices? Are you seeing founders do things that you would try to give us sort of caveats about Mm -hmm. not doing? Like, what are the things that you're seeing founders do the best during this time that we can try to? I think this is a, a time when open and honest communication trumps everything else. Like, yeah, it's important to be decisive and, um, you know, and fearless and all this other stuff. But I, I think the, the quality when everybody is triaging their own separate businesses, right? If you're a, a co-packer and you've got a ton of customers and you've got a ton of employees, you've got all these other things to deal with. I think we're, we're going to go the extra mile for the, the people that make us feel understood and valued and, and that are listening mm-hmm. to us. And, yeah. you know, whether it's um, you're negotiating, uh, you know, supply chain issues with your co-packer or just talking to your landlord, like go ask your landlord for a couple months of free yeah. rent, go do it right now. Because yeah. I mean, they're, it's not like they're going to yeah. be able to put somebody else in the building. You know what I mean? And and then they're probably not right. obligated to do it. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, right? I don't know what contracts or what clauses are in everybody's contracts, but the the conversations that are going to make the the biggest difference are the ones that I think create empathy and understanding and and trust. And you know, as much as I'd love to say, "Oh, here's the, you know, go put that in a spreadsheet and and use it to run your business." Like in times like these, I think we just have to you know, come back to basics. It's, it's a, it's a human equation. Like the people that want to help you are going to help you. And I think being open and honest, you know, with your, with your landlord, with your co-packer, with your employees, with your investors, like, and that's probably the single most important thing to do right now. Well, I think on that note, I'm going to say thank you, Um, Chris. Thank you so much for all of your great advice. Your team has been really just like steady and helpful and so smart during this time for us. And we're just so excited. I don't even think we know exactly how much we're even going to be able to get out of that relationship from like a learning perspective. And so we're super psyched. So thank you for being here. and taking My pleasure. Time. I mean, we feel like it's a privilege to be surrounded by entrepreneurs like you. And, um, you know, when, when somebody reaches out and asks you for help in a crisis, I mean, I, I don't know that there is a, yeah. um, a greater honor than to be called upon when somebody really needs you. So, so thanks. And um, Marissa, this is my embarrassing, I'm sure, but public, just massive thank you. Um, since day one, you've just been like the steady Freddie to my sweaty <laughs> Betty. Um, and I just made that up. I love it. That, that was so good, that's, right? That's, I'm going to erase the so entire rest of the episode because that, little, <laughs> that nugget was so good. Um, I know, my yeah, gosh. I really want people poetry. to focus in on that. Um, but but you know what? Like 
for every founder out there, like I wish you success and I wish you health and I wish you peace. But what I really wish you is a Marissa. <laughs> it's true because I mean, she understands when I'm like, you know, the thing I want to get a number of the things so I can tell everyone what, you know, and she'll be like, uh-huh. And then she'll like make a graph and like a pivot table, you know, she just knows. So, um, <laughs> I can blurt out things at four in the morning and I know she knows that I just need to get them off my head. And she knows that I know that I don't expect her to do anything about it until, you know, it's just, it's, it's the best, it's the best. And I'm so grateful to you and I'm grateful for the way that you lead the team and for the way that you manage me. Um, I really am so happy to be building this with you. Um, and, uh, just everyone out there, you know, thank you for listening. I hope this is helpful. Obviously, as always, you can just DM me on Instagram or reach out. A lot of you already have. I'm sorry if things are rough. I do, you know, believe deep down things are going to get better. And, um, you know, if you haven't built a brick house yet, this is a really good opportunity for you to sit down and think about what that would look like because things go up and things go down. Um, that's just the nature of life. So thank you guys so much for listening and I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate.